Good morning. What a blessing to be in the presence of God and to experience the authenticity of the essence of who he is. You see, beloved, one of the things that we have to understand about the nature and the character of God, and that is God is always present. He is, the Bible says, he is omnipresent. And what that implies is that God is everywhere. He's, he's always present even when we think he is absent. You see, the absenteeism of God is so evident in our culture today, it, it exposes the essence of the condition of our culture. Our culture tells us that there isn't any importance of having a God who is capable of speaking to the needs and the things of our lives. But we know different than that. Because as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that God has erected, God has basically said to us that I will give you the very essence of my bride. And when God lifted his son and caused his son to enter into his very presence, God sent us a person in the nature of the Hagias Numa, the Holy Spirit. And when God gave us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God began to rest and rule and abide within each and every one of us. And because of that, We call that the church. We call that the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it begs the question this morning uh, to each of us, and that is this. What is it that makes this, this uniqueness of this church? What is it that really makes a church a church? What is it that makes a church the, the bride of Christ? that causes the church to be so energized, so engaged, so involved in the lives of all people, regardless to their ethnicity, regardless to their economy, regardless to their ideology, regardless to their perspective, regardless of what they think about themselves, what they feel about themselves. What is it that us to understand what makes our church an Effective church that brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it begs the better question. What then are the characteristics of such a church? What is it that God places inside of the church that causes the church to be the church? And I'm going to ask you, beloved, to do something when I was pastoring. I encouraged my members to have pen and paper and press pen, paper to pad and take down notes, and I'll check your notes at the end of the door as you walk out today. Somebody said amen. I want to give you three things before we begin to deal with these unique and distinctive traits or characteristics that exposes a church. The first one is this. A church, to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, must first of all foundationally be a soul winning church, a church that is so winning, that is interested in bringing people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We are to be so winners, to, to see people who are lost and to bring them into a relationship to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Foundational. Number two, that church also must be spirit driven, driven by the spirit of the living God. 
driven by the, the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Godhead, the Hagias Numa, the, the Holy Spirit. Some people say the, the Holy Ghost, and that isn't spooky either. But the Spirit of the living God working in that church that causes the church to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, it's got to be a soul-winning church, a church that is concerned about leading people to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is so important today in our culture today as we look at the demise of our culture, the, the crumbling of the culture, that there are opportunities that God has for us in the midst of opposition. So there are opportunities that God gives to the church, to us believers, to understand that these are opportunities, these conditions are God's invitation for us to do something that go far beyond the capacity of our intellect or our capabilities. We ought to be soul winning. Not only that, but spirit driven. Then thirdly, beloved, the church must engage in being a disciple making church. Now what is a disciple? A disciple is one who is in the process of becoming what God would have them to be. We, the word is from the word man or mathetes, uh, going into the great commission that has now become the great suggestion. And the great commission that should no longer be the great suggestion because it is the great commission we have been commissioned to do that which folks are now considered to be the great possibility. It isn't a possibility. It is a command straight from the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was ascending from Beth, up to Bethany, going up, and they were wondering, what, what are we going to do now? What, what should we do? He said, then, then the Lord Jesus Christ says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It is the empowerment of the person of Jesus Christ who works judiciously within each and every one of us to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the people of God. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but the new mercies of the Lord Jesus Christ is flowing in and through us every day. We have fresh mercies that God gives to us, and these mercies that God gives to us are the mercies that bring people into saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It brings them to a place of reckoning with their own condition, their own heart, their own spirit, and it brings them to a place of surrender. And when we begin to surrender, we can embrace the song, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. I surrender my life. I surrender my resources. I surrender my marriage. I surrender my husband. I surrender my wife. I surrender my children. Everything I have all to Jesus, I surrender. So a church, that is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundationally, that church is soul winning, that church is spirit driven, and that church is disciple making. You see, beloved, without those three necessary ingredients, these characteristics to which we're going to expose today are seven distinct characteristics that flows out of the foundational principles 
of a good bibliology that helps us to understand that the word of God is the word of God, is not the word of suggestion. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. The word became, the Lord became light. That life of the word of God has infused us, and that word that's life in us become the word to which we share with others to give life to them. You see, beloved, we are dead men walking without the living word of God in us. We are dead people. We are inadequate. We are just statuettes and statues without the presence and the power of the Hagios Numar, the Holy Spirit of God, and that isn't spooky. So it begs the question, what then are the seven distinctive characteristics of a church that's a great church. You see, beloved, every church that meets on Sunday is not necessarily the ekkaleo. You see, the church, ekkaleo, literally the called out assembly. You can jot that down. The church is the ekkaleo. It means God has called us out. The word ek means out of. The word kalesis means to walk alongside. In other words, God calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He calls us out of sin. He calls us out of unrighteousness. He calls us out of our own ideology. He calls us out of our own separate racial divisiveness. And as I look at my family today, all I see are Afros in the congregation. You look just like my cousins and nephews and uncles and nieces. This is my family. This congregation are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I tell you, I feel like I'm at home. I feel like the Beverly Hill business. I'm going to come down and just sit a spell. Y'all come next year, sit down by the cement pond. This is awesome. Isn't it wonderful to be in a place that you've never been before and you feel the love and the kindness and the compassion of every one of God's people. I tell you that there isn't anything like it. So, beloved, what is it that causes this distinctive, unique thing to happen that creates this energy, this synergy, this capacity to use our gifts that God has given to us? What is it then that helps us to understand that we are the body of Christ, the called out assembly for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad you asked that question. Well, let me give you the first one. I'll be, ch- I'll be checking your notes and all that kind of stuff. I'm still in a, I'm, I'm itinerant right now, but I have a pastor's heart. I'm like your pastor. I love your pastor to death. I have a pastor's heart. I, I like to know that my members are taking good notes. And I love when my members allow me to allow them to become the pastor's pets. That means you can get anything from me that you want. I just love that. So good note taking. So what's the first distinctive characteristic or trait that exposes what is a great church? Jot this down. It is the church's, your devotion, your devotion, devotion, devotion. Now I'm looking around, watching people take notes. That's my pastoral instinct. I just got it naturally. 
devotion. Have your wife to take the notes. That'd be good. Most guys do that. Devotion. Now, what is devotion? Your devotion is directly connected to your deliverance. You see, beloved, whatever you are devoted to is what you invest in. If you are devoted to God, you will invest in the things of God. If you're married and you are devoted to your husband or to your wife, you invest into your husband and your wife. If you have devotion and you have children, you invest into their education, to their excellence, to their capacity to do great things. Whatever you or I are devoted to, we give our very best to that which we believe in. You see, a great church does not wrangle or stress with devotion. They're devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. They understand on Christ the solid rock they stand, all other ground is sinking sand. They understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of their life and not just the Savior of their life. You see, beloved, distinctively, there is a profound difference between the Lord being just the Savior of your life, lifting you from hell's fire, but when you are really devoted to him, you become a person who becomes sanctified. Now, sanctification is separate from salvation. Salvation brings you into the kingdom. Sanctification matures you in your walk with Christ. And what we're missing today in many of our churches today, in the Ekkaleo, we're missing the aspect of sanctification. Sanctification controls your, your conversation. Sanctification controls your, where you go. Sanctification deals with your attitude. Your attitude is directly proportionate to your altitude. The higher you go up with the Lord Jesus Christ, that's your altitude. It changes your attitude. The closer you get to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the sun rays of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more your life becomes transformed and transfixed, and you are ready to do what God would have you to do. Folks don't have to beg you to come to church. Folks don't have to beg you to serve. Folks don't have to beg you to do things. Folks don't have to beg you to pay your tithes. Folks don't have to beg you to do There's no begging going on. There is a voluntary spirit that God places within us, and that spirit that God places within us is the person of the power of the third person that God gave, the one that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us as he gave the great commission that has now become the great suggestion, and he told them that I would give you all power for those who allow me to work his work in my life, when you get to that place of sanctification, you are ready to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Devotion. So, beloved, how is your devotion? Are you devoted only to Sunday morning? Check. Are you devoted only to doing one thing? Check. Are you devoted to just using your musical skills? Check. Are you devoted to just giving a tip and not a tenth? Check. How is your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ? The second characteristic of a disciple-making, soul-winning, disciple-making, spirit-led church, a church that is filled with the presence of the Spirit of God, 
that is serious about making disciples, serious about soul winning, serious about doing the things of God, and that is this. Jot this down. And that is fellowship. Fellowship. There is a fellowship. That, that word fellowship is the word koinonia, uh, fellowship. It, it is those who come together based upon the Spirit of God and not based upon anything else other than that. The Spirit of God brings us together. I love what Dr. King said. It's not by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. And, beloved, there's a great difference between having character and being a character. Because sometimes we edge on the aspect of being a character with no character. And when you have a, your character with no character, that means there's something very unusual about that. And we need to investigate the essence of our Christology. Are we really in fellowship with God? You see, beloved, when you're in fellowship with God, the fellowship we have with others will become very easy, very simple. Even difficult people will become a joy. I love disobedient people. Don't you love them? Blacky hard. Blacky hard. I love people who are obstinate. Blacky hard. Blacky hard. I love people who are just stubborn. I just love them. I just want to hug them and just rock them like a baby. I just love them. Then you want to hold them up and burp them. Burp, 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 burp. Because what they're saying, I need somebody to just coddle me. Just love me just the way I am. What I want you to know today, I would just love to take my chocolate and wrap it over your vanilla all day long. And then we have a chocolate and vanilla shake. That would be so wonderful. Because we are the people of God. Fellowship. What's the first one? Okay, I'm taking notes. What's the first one? What's the second one? The second one is this, and that is your prayer life. Prayer life, that's hyphenated. Wherever there's prayer, there is life. And wherever there isn't prayer, there is no life. Your prayer life is not saying emergency prayers. It's not praying for fire insurance. Oh, God, I'm in trouble. That's not a prayer. That's emergency prayer. Oh, God, I'm broke. That's emergency prayer. Your prayer life is a persistent daily encounter in the presence of God where you're talking to God as if you're talking to your own friend, you're in perpetual, ongoing communion with God, and you're listening and hearing the voice of God, and you're speaking to him, he's talking to you, you're in, you're in that reciprocity. You're having a friendship conversation with God because you want to be a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're a friend of God, you can be an enemy of everybody else, but the friendship of God will trump all the other enemies that you have in your life, will bring a peace in your life that will pass all understanding. So how is your prayer life? Do you just say emergency prayers? Lord, help me. Do you only pray when you need something? Or does God recognize your voice when everyone else is praying and God says, oh, is that Pastor Todd calling me? Okay, shut the other lines down. That's a, that's a Todd call. That, there's a Rasmussen call. Probably his wife called, but that's okay. That's a Rasmussen call, okay? And God hears that. That's your prayer life. Jot this down. 
Wherever there is no prayer life, there is no life. You are a dead person walking on your own if you're not connected in prayer with God. What's the first one? What's the second one? What's the third one? The fourth one is a spirit-filled life, a life that is full of it. And many of us have a life that's full of it. Let's have fun today. Um, I know I'm in a Lutheran church. I'm a Baptist. I'm Afrocentristic in my nature, but I'm, I got blood all down in my veins, the blood of Jesus. I want you to put a big smile on your face just like this and look next to the person and say, what are you full of? Then look to the person next to you and say, say you're full of it. You say you're full of something, but what are you full of? The way you know what a person is full of is when you take them like you take a, a, a glass and you put a top on it and you take some chocolate and vanilla, whatever kind of stuff you put in there, and you shake it up. And then you shake it up and it becomes the substance of what that looks like. You know what I mean? It's like a malt. You know, just shake it all up. And it's just that. Whatever, whenever you're shaken at the core of your being, will tell people what you are full of. Whether you're full of Jesus, full of hate, full of unforgiveness, full of arrogance, full of pride, full of self-righteousness, full of legalism, full of the stuff that kills churches at the core. So, beloved, whatever you're full of would eventually be denoted and found by those who understand what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit of God. So, beloved, you want to be and to possess a spirit-filled life. Now, when we say spirit-filled, we're talking about this Holy Spirit. We're talking about the third person of the Godhead. We're talking about the righteousness of God coming into our, our life. Now, the word righteousness, the word dakaosune, it means to be in right position, in right standing with the righteousness of God. It is a positional word, righteousness. It's right standing, right position, right purpose, right intent, right desire, right heart. You see, beloved, what happens when you get to that positional position of righteousness and being spirit, have a spirit for your life, you can then begin to write out your problems, write out the wrongs around you. Righteousness always trumps unrighteousness. Light always pushes back darkness. For we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine that people can see the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and your light will lead people to a life of renewal, a light of transformation, a light of change, a life that will be completely changed by the life in which you live your life and the light that comes out of you. What's the first one? Okay, now, come on, class. What's the first one? What's the second one? What's the third one? What's the fourth one? It's for your life. The 
fifth ingredient is commonness. 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 That, that comes out of the word, Pastor, communion. When we do communion, what we're doing in communion, we are, we are dealing with the body of Christ, of course, but we are, we're saying to the word that there's a commonality that brings us together regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our economy, regardless of where we came from, regardless of what we've done. There is a commonness. There is a unique commonness that exists in the body of Christ as Christians. We have a commonality that is so distinctly unique that when people see us operating together, people can see the work of Jesus Christ in our life, and they're able to identify and understand who we are because of that inner gale, that inner working power of the Holy Spirit of God that's working in us, that's causing us to be the people of God. We're not interested in race. We're not interested in color. We're not interested in how a person's economy. We're not interested in how a person, their education. We're not interested in what they went to school. We're not inter- Those things are not important. The things that we are more important about is how much Jesus do you have inside of you that causes me to feel like he's just going to ooze out of you and ooze on everybody else. That's the most important thing in life. It's not money. It's not position. It's not power. It's not authority. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who's working in your life that causes you to be called a Christian. You see, beloved, the greatest commonality is exposed best is when we are shaken. That's when you know what's inside of a person. When they're shaken. When they're all shook up, ooh, that's shaken. So, beloved, what are you full of? that enunciates the commonality of the kingdom of glory. What's the first one? What's the second one? What's the third one? What's the fourth one? What's the fifth one? There's a fifth one that is very powerful today, and I believe that fifth one is going to cause some of us to go back and ask for the offering plate to be passed by to us a second time, and that's generosity. The Bible says, will a man rob God? The Bible says, yet you rob me. How do I rob you? You rob me in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, for robbing me. We give everybody else our money, our time, our talent, and our resources. We give God nothing. There are many people who come to church, have never given God his 10%. 10%. Just, just not, not 20%. Not 75%. Just 10%. And then we wonder, why are there so many holes in my bank account? We wonder, why are there so many issues that my children are giving me? We wonder, why am I so broke I'm too poor to tote it? What is wrong? Let me give you a secret. You give God his first, and God will take care of that 90%, and he'll make it look like it's 150%. But when you don't do that, guess what you're doing? You are robbing yourself by robbing God. So how do you get there? You confess that I have sinned. You confess that I am not being devoted to the things the Lord God Almighty. 
You confess that I'm hindering the church of Jesus Christ. You confess that you want to get it right and do it now so that the kingdom of God can be advanced in this church for the purpose of reaching more souls to come to know that Jesus Christ is the answer and that Jesus Christ is the solution for every condition and situation in the world, even in Washington and D.C. If there ever been a time that we need Jesus in America, we need him now. If there ever been a time that we need Jesus in our schools, we need him now. If there ever been a time we need Jesus in our marriages, we need him now. My wife and I went to an appointment with her at our, uh, our doctor, and they asked me a very proverbial question. They said, uh, Mr. Loggins, um, tell me, um, are you uh, Mrs. Loggins' spouse? I said, no, I'm not. She said, well, she said you're her spouse. I said, no, I'm not a spouse. I'm her husband. What's a spouse? Anything you want to make it. I said, well, give me the form. I took the form, and I stretched out spouse. And I wrote in H-U-S-B-A-N-D, husband. I'm a trained husband. The lady went, wow, that's pretty bold. I said, what we're doing in our culture today, we're changing terminology to redefine definition. And when you redefine definition, you can call it whatever you want it to be. For God made Abam and God made Abamah. God made Ish and God made Isha. Woman is Isha, man is Ish. When God made man, he went Ish. But when he made woman, he went Sha, Sha, Sha. (laughs) And when Adam saw her, he said, Wow, man. (laughs) He called her woman. For she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called, wow, man. I can't wait to get home. Am I flying out today, Jim? Tomorrow, all rats. Wow, man. What's the first one? Give it to me. What's the second one? What's the third one? What's the fourth one? What's the fifth one? What's the sixth one? Repeat after me, and I love having fun. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. Cheep, cheep. Over here. Cheep, cheep. Here. Cheep, cheep. Here. Cheep, cheep. Cheep, cheep. Cheep, cheep. Now let's do a symphony of cheap cheapness. Ready? Say, go. Cheep, cheep. Let's begin. Cheep, cheep. Look at your neighbor. Don't say anything to them. And say this to yourself. Am I cheap, cheap on God? There's a seventh and conclusive trait that enunciates the character of the heart of a great church, of the ekaleo, the call out assembly, those of us who are inviting people to saving faith in Jesus Christ, regardless to their ethnicity, regardless to their economy, 
but predicated upon their relationship with the authenticity of the person of Jesus Christ. And here it is here. And that is growth. Growth. You see, beloved, if you're here today and you have not grown in Christ and you're still in kindergarten, I'm inviting you to first grade. If you're in first grade and you're trying to get through to sixth grade, I'm inviting you to junior high. If you're in junior high and you're tired of the junior high games and stuff going on, then I'm inviting you to high school. If you're in high school, I'm inviting you to college. If you're in college, I'm inviting you to go to a community college to get two years. And then inviting you to get four years. I'm inviting you to get your master's degree. I'm inviting you to get your doctor's degree. I'm inviting you to be the best Christian in this church. And it can begin right now, right here, right today. I'm inviting you for that. Let me conclude with these words. Try to wrap it up here. My testimony, my, my father was an alcoholic, Walter Loggins Sr. We lived in a pretty depraved environment in Laurel, Mississippi. It is Mississippi, not Mississippi. It's Mississippi. We call folks who say Mississippi, we call them foreigners. It's Mississippi. And um, my mother had seven children. We were very hungry. My dad was an alcoholic. He came home drunk on many occasions. On one occasion, at age five, I saw him come home, and I looked up at my dad, and my dad was sloppy drunk. And at that moment, I made a decision. Now, I've done wrong. I I am a sinner. Believe me. Okay, I have sinned. I know what sin is about, and I did it really well, bad, okay? But I made a decision not to drink. Because my dad came home and we were hungry. God changed my life, put me on the street called straight, and changed my life. Beloved, these seven distinctive traits speaks in this manner to us. And I want to read this to us, and then we'll end our message tonight today. Beginning, if you will, in that second chapter, going from that I'm going to begin at that um, 37th verse. And it says, When they heard this, chapter 2, they were pricked to the heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And verse 40, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this, from this untoward generation. Then they, had, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them, about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. Now we wrap it up. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs was done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had all things in common, 
sold their possessions and good and parted them to all men as every man had need. Verse 46, they continually daily with on one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with glad and singleness of heart. Verse 47 and concluding, praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number. The Lord added to their number. The Lord added to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ daily such as were being saved. The traits and characteristics of a great church. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that there are churches that are waiting to become great. And there are churches that are sitting on the very edge of greatness. Would you do that today? In Jesus' name, amen.